Today is the final day of Good Shepherd's annual pledge campaign. Unless you think that this is the part where I chatter away like an NPR host about the importance of giving so we can make our goal before the top of the hour, don't touch that dial. The church isn't public radio, and we're not your alma mater or a social service provider or a nonprofit hospital. Actually, we're kind of like all of those things in some ways, I guess. But we, the church, and I do mean we, because once you're baptized, that includes you, when we get together on Sunday mornings, we are something bigger than all that. Ideally, the church is the world's community of resurrection. That sounds presumptuous, doesn't it? Yet since the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, the church has always claimed to be the nexus of God's active presence in the world. It's easy to disbelieve this, and I don't blame those who do. We are the recipients of a tainted legacy. The church is a microcosm of all human effort. We fail and we succeed we hurt people and we help people. It's all of a piece. And Christianity is never just one thing to be judged on its merits and then discarded. As a matter of fact, that's what makes us this community of resurrection. We look directly at all the junk the world has to offer and then claim boldly and audaciously that the stuff of humanity has been killed and resurrected into something eternal and glorious. If it's true, wouldn't you want to be a part of that? How can we find out whether it's true? Wikipedia? YouTube videos? You can do all of the quote-unquote research you want, but in the end, the only way to understand Christianity is to get curious enough to try it, to pray, to show up and be visible among others who are worshiping, to get wet in the waters of baptism, to taste the bread and the wine, to give of ourselves for the sake of the world. We learn by making ourselves curious, visible, and vulnerable. Now, we can always pull up stakes and go someplace else. People do that all the time when the church fails them. But on those occasions when the Holy Spirit intercedes and salvages our efforts, people stay and grow and inspire others along the way. For five Sundays, we've been inviting one another to make or renew a financial commitment to this little outpost of the community of resurrection. We invite everyone to give so that the church can do its thing. On our way to a goal of 80 pledges for 2023, any pledge is a pledge. Anyone who ever handles money at all can make a pledge. From the wealthiest CEO all the way down to a child with an allowance. And Good Shepherd does have several kids who do indeed pledge every year. So do many adults without a lot of money. The point of the pledge is not the amount, but the willingness to say, hey, count me in on this resurrection thing. 
My family's pledge this year is over $10,000, but I've seen an annual pledge of $50 or $12 or $1. Usually a pledge that small grows as the year goes on. The commitment is still a leap into a deeper faith, and while the pledges we make form the backbone of Good Shepherd's budget for next year, we don't give to a budget. We give because giving strengthens our love for God's world. Nevertheless, I do feel self-conscious saying all this, a little too much like an NPR host. Giving money to the church may feel like an interruption or a necessary evil or, or like a crude reminder of the earthiness of everyday life. You may wish we never had to talk about money here. But have you noticed that most of our gospel readings for the last couple months have been about money? Today's reading is the cherry on top. After his urgent proclamation of the kingdom of God, money was Jesus' primary concern because he knew we have so many hang-ups about it and because he knew that most of the injustice in the world is caused by the misuse of it, Jesus calls us to let go of more and more of what we think we control, especially our money, and to trust that our participation in this beloved community of resurrection will help meet our needs. Sometimes all it takes to begin is a little curiosity and then a willingness to be visible and a little bit vulnerable. I mean, look at this tax collector, Zacchaeus, or excuse me, chief tax collector. Thank you very much. Anna told us last week about how tax collectors in Jesus' time made their living. If they only collected what the Romans asked for, they'd make no living at all. As the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus sits at the top like the owner of a predatory loan agency or the dispatcher of a bunch of lowly bill collectors. He's despicable. He's also vertically challenged. And he's curious, which leads to a ridiculous scene. The chief tax collector has let go of all of his dignity and climbed a tree. He looks like a nine-year-old with a beard. But this Jesus has sparked his curiosity and for just this moment, Zacchaeus has forgotten to care what others think. All he wants is a glimpse of Jesus. Hey, Zacchaeus, you need to have me over for dinner tonight. Um, okay, um, just a minute. Let me climb down here. Uh, ouch, oof, oh, no, here I am. <sighs> okay, um, uh, yeah, let me, um, uh, let me just... Um, my house is this way. Actually, I'm not clear whether the story stops and picks up again at Zacchaeus' house or whether all this action takes place at the base of that sycamore tree. Either way, Zacchaeus suddenly claims he's going to part with half of his possessions. For starters. And only then will he follow the directive of Exodus chapter 22 verse 1. Five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. He's going to personally call on everyone he's ever extorted and give them four times that amount back again. Please note this carefully. 
The moment Zacchaeus commits to pay fourfold reparations to all those he has victimized, he is saved. Saved. What does that mean for him? John Calvin wrote that Zacchaeus changes from a wolf into a sheep and then immediately into a shepherd as other rich people witness his actions. The example of a rich person is far more effective than that of a poor person because as Tevye sings in Fiddler on the Roof, when you're rich, they think you really know. It's a cynical line meant to imply that the rich don't possess any special knowledge. They're just plain privileged. And we can relate. We know that a person who is born rich can scheme and plot and grift and fleece and bankrupt multiple companies and cause all sorts of human misery, but remain rich and out of prison for years or decades simply because of his brand. But what if such a person somehow got curious about a different way of being in the world? Coming down from that tree, Zacchaeus has changed. Now he does indeed have special knowledge. Knowledge of Jesus' joyful welcome of him. This is what salvation means for Zacchaeus. This is resurrection within the scope of a human life. This is what the church proclaims every day is possible. Zacchaeus makes himself visible and vulnerable in the one way that he lacks privilege, his height. And then Jesus uses that to approach him and to announce, okay, it's time for you to welcome me in. Randy Newman once sang with his tongue firmly planted in his cheek, short people got no reason to live. Anyone remember that song? Yeah. It was satire intended to puncture the balloon of bigotry. Being short was never Zacchaeus' shortcoming. His money was. Today, the world's ten richest people hold as much wealth as the bottom 3.1 billion people. And just during the pandemic, the wealth of the world's wealthiest 1% has doubled. Now, none of those people worship with us, of course. (laughs) Otherwise, we would definitely balance the budget. (laughs) So this week, I tried. I tried to learn what is the average annual wage in the world. The complications of international economics make it pretty much impossible to nail that down specifically, but suffice it to say that every one of us with even the smallest part-time job makes far more money than the world's average person does. How would you imagine living on $800 a year or something like that? The community of resurrection of which you are a part has a prescription for this inequity It's the same as that for the wealthy Zacchaeus. Give a chunk of your money away so that the poor can have something more. But it's not just about the rich becoming less rich. That's only the first step. It's about engaging in relationships, visibly and vulnerably. That's the treasure. What if we all 
found ourselves graced with the curiosity of Zacchaeus. What could that lead to? What if this community of resurrection in Federal Way and online continues to inspire more curiosity? Curiosity turned outward. And then that curiosity leads to more visibility in our community and more vulnerability with all the risk and all the hope that entails. It's not just about making a pledge today, although I hope 31 more people will and we'll hit our goal. Who are the people in our world to whom we owe reparations for our acts of fraud, known and unknown, intentional and unintentional, personal and systemic? Whom is the church hurting to this day? Jesus promises reconciliation and calls us to walk a path toward it. Logic insists reconciliation is impossible. Curiosity asks, I wonder what it would take for reconciliation to be possible. What if we only have to go part of the way ourselves? What if we began simply by climbing a tree and checking out the situation? If you haven't yet made a pledge for 2023, please do so today. Make it any size, if only to say, I'm all in with this community of resurrection. Then, together, let's pray today for curiosity. That secret sauce that moved Zacchaeus very quickly from financial predator to saved child of Abraham. Once lost, but now found. Once isolated, but now joyful and celebrating in community. Let's climb a tree together and look like fools. Maybe we'll see Jesus. Maybe he'll call out to us and invite himself in for dinner.